that was awesome. I was backstage watching it. That's so so much fun just to celebrate baptisms and um, just excited to be here today. So I just want to say good morning. My name is Josh, uh, one of the pastors on staff here at Cornerstone. And this morning, uh, I want to talk with you about prayer. And the reason why I chose this topic for the standalone message was because a few weeks ago, Pastor Scott said these words. He said, our goal is not to be the best church in Prescott, but to be the best church for Prescott. And when he said that, my mind started racing and I just started thinking about that. And and I've been asking myself, what would it look like if we took those words seriously? If we who are God's people actually had a desire to be a church for Prescott and not just another church in Prescott, how might God move and what kind of changes would we see if that was our desire? And to be honest, I don't know exactly how God would move. I don't know what kind of changes we would see, but I do believe that he would move in amazing ways if that is truly our desire. So that's why we chose this topic of prayer, because I truly believe that if we want to be a church for Prescott, we first need to start with prayer. Before we ever move into any acts of service, we first need to kneel in the presence of of God. If you look back on history, no revival had ever swept across any nation or city or town that did not first begin with prayer. If we want to be a church for Prescott, we need to start with prayer. It is a movement that begins with prayer. So our big idea for today is extremely simple. It's three words. It's already filled out on your handout because I didn't want anybody to miss it. And I wanted to drive all of you people that love filling in blanks. I wanted to drive you nuts because it's already filled in for you. It's these three words. Pray for Prescott. If all you remember from today are these three words, and remembering these three words actually causes you to pray for Prescott, then this was a success. Because I believe with all my heart that as we begin to pray for Prescott, God will open up our eyes to needs that we had never seen before, and he will soften our hearts and cause us to move in ways that we had never moved before. So that's our big idea, is that we pray for Prescott. And now prayer is a vast subject, and we're not going to have time to go into all the ins and outs of prayer in our short time together. So my goal for today is very simple, to cover three things. First, to define prayer, then to talk about the purpose of prayer, and then lastly, to talk about the power of prayer. And my hope is that talking about those three things will motivate us to actually pray for Prescott. So that's what we're going to do at the end of the service. We're going to, I, I reserved some time for us just to come before the Lord and pray, and then we're going to save uh, a little bit of time to just listen, because that's really what prayer is. It's two parts. It's, it's a talking to, and it's a listening, and we're really good at the talking part a lot of the times, not so good at the listening part, so we're going to practice both of those a little bit later in the service. But before we get to that, let's just simply start by defining prayer. Now, I know that there's a lot of people in this room who have been in church longer than I've been alive. And there are a lot of people in this church who, if I were to ask you what prayer is, you could give me an awesome definition. But I also believe that there are some people in this room who might not know what prayer is. And not that long ago, that would have been me, because I didn't grow up in the church, and I didn't grow up with anybody in my family who demonstrated prayer to me or who taught me what prayer looked like or what it was. So when I was younger, I formulated my own ideas of what prayer was. For the longest time, I thought prayer was kind of like a barter system with God. You know, it's like, God, if you do this for me, then I'll give you this in return. So I remember this, I think, was my first prayer 
that I ever said. I was standing at the top of Thumb Butte, not the top of the hiking trail, but the actual top of the mountain where you climb up to the rocks. And me and my brother, we couldn't find a, a safe way down. And my prayer at that time, I was like 14 years old, didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I just, you know, most people, even if they're atheists or agnostics, they admit to praying in times of crisis. This was a time of crisis because we could die. And I remember calling out to God, God, if you keep us safe, I'll stop cussing. You know, that was my prayer. Like, God, if you keep me safe, I'll become a better person. That's what I thought prayer was, but that's not what prayer is. Then I grew up a little bit more, and a few years later, um, I started to think that maybe prayer was a way for God to prove himself to me. You know, God, if you're real, then you'll do this for me. And I remember this was a ridiculous thing that I did, but I was driving from Prescott to Prescott Valley in my, as Scott calls it, beater truck as he saw me walking out of it this morning. But it was the same truck that I still have right now. It's been running like a champ. It's a Toyota, so it won't never die. But um, I'm driving from Prescott to Prescott Valley, and it had this old CD player in there that every time you'd hit a bump, the CD would eject, and then you try to put the CD back in, it would never you know, actually read it. This was before Bluetooth and MP3 players, so the struggle was real. And <laughs> so I hit this bump. I can't get the CD player to work. And out of my frustration, I was in Diamond Valley. I was driving through to Prescott Valley. I remember calling out to God in my anger, God, if you're real, you'll make this CD player work. And I put it in. And then, just to make sure that, you know, he heard me, I wanted to seal my prayer with some blood. So I punched the CD player like five or six times until my knuckles bled. Funny enough, it actually worked after that. But that's not what prayer is. It's not a way for God to prove himself. No, if we look at Scripture, Scripture defines prayer a a number of ways. I just want to look at a couple of verses that talk about, um, you know, what prayer really looks like. In Exodus 33, Moses is praying to God and he's seeking God's favor. Prayer involves this this idea of seeking, looking for something. All right, the next passage that we'll look at, I love this one, 1 Samuel 1.15. It's this pouring out of one's soul. The reality is prayer is not pretty. It's not perfect. A lot of people avoid praying in public because they're scared of what other people might think. And because they can't quite formulate their ideas or they can't quite articulate the words that they want well enough, so they avoid praying. But praying is messy and it can be ugly. In this passage, this lady, um, Hannah, she's pouring out her soul to the Lord. And it's, it's, it's a crazy story if you read through it because the priest, Eli, looks at this lady who's praying and he thinks that she's drunk. I mean, she's just pouring out her soul so much so that he comes up to her and he's like, are you drunk? She's like, no, I'm just praying. Like, you know you're doing something right if people are mistaking your prayer life for being drunk. That's some intense <laughs> prayer. Next one. It's this crying out to heaven. Second Chronicles 32, 20 describes this. Sometimes we don't even have the right words to say, so all we can offer up to God is what Kurt, uh, Spurgeon called liquid prayers. Right? They're wordless prayers. All, all we can offer up are the tears that are falling out of our face. And he takes those tears mixed with that snot that's running down when all we can do is cry out to him and he hears it and he loves it and he delights in it. Prayer can be messy. The next one, it's this drawing near to God. Again, it's coming into proximity with God. It's a desire to seek him. The next one real quick. It's it's again, this lifting up one's soul to the Lord. That's how prayer sort of, that's how scripture defines prayer. Prayer. So if we were to take those and just formulate our own very simple definition, we can say that prayer is communicating with God. 
Prayer is just communicating with God. It's sharing our deepest thoughts and emotions and feelings with him on a, on a very personal, intimate level. You know, I love how the author of The Kneeling Christian put it, and he's an unknown author, the guy who wrote this book, but he said, It is good to be conscious that we are always in the presence of God. It's better to gaze upon him in adoration, but is best of all to commune, right? To communicate with him as a friend. And that is prayer. Prayer is just this idea of communing, communicating with God, sharing our deepest emotions and feelings and thoughts with Him. So there, we've defined it. That's what prayer is, communicating with God. Now let's talk about uh, the power, or, the, or I'm sorry, the purpose of prayer. And this is asking the question, what does prayer even do? And to find the answer to this, we don't have to go any further than Jesus in the garden. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open up to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to set the scene for you. Uh, Jesus just gets done eating his last meal with his disciples in the upper room. They celebrate communion. Uh, Jesus knows that the cross is only hours away, so his soul is in turmoil. I mean, he knows what is he's going to experience on the cross. He's going to experience the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. He pays our sin debt. He's going to experience things like shame and guilt and separation that come with sin. And we have to remember that he was perfect. He had never sinned. So he doesn't know what those things feel like. He's going to go experience them on the cross. So his soul is troubled. And in the midst of his uh, trouble, he goes out to pray. And that's where we pick up in this story. He's on his way to the garden. So starting in verse 32 of Mark chapter 14, it says, And they, so that's Jesus and his friends, right, his followers, his disciples. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass him. And he said, Abba, Father, right? Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. He recognizes that with God, all things are possible. And we know from the other gospel accounts that this was a wrestling match for Jesus in the garden. He went multiple times to the Father and said, God, if there's any other way, can you make this pass? Right? Because his soul is troubled. He's going to experience something that, that none of us will experience the cross. So he says, God, if all things are possible for you, remove this cup from me. But this is the point that I want to take because after that wrestling match, this is what Jesus comes to. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, God, whatever you desire for me, I'm willing to step into that because it's not about me. It's not about my will. It is about your will. So your will be done. So what we can learn from this example of Jesus in the garden is that the purpose of prayer is to get in alignment with God's will. That is the chief purpose of prayer, to bring us in alignment with God's will so much so that we can be like Jesus and stand and say, God, your will be done. When we recognize it's not about us, it's about your desire and your plan. That is the chief purpose of prayer. Yes, prayer does other things, right? It brings us peace. It protects us from temptation. But the chief purpose of prayer is to bring us in alignment with the will of God, just like Jesus demonstrated for us. And this is huge for us if we want to be a church for Prescott. 
Because God will call us to uncomfortable places and he will call us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. The cross was outside of the comfort zone for Jesus. He will call us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone because his desire for us is to do so much more than just attend church on Sunday. He calls us to be his hands and feet in the places that he's placed us and he has placed us here in Prescott. So he's going to call us to move and to act in some pretty crazy ways. And we need to be in alignment with his will if we are to step into those things that he's calling us to do. Just to give you an example in my own life, real quick story. I don't have time to go into all of it. Maybe someday I'll be able to share the whole story. But it's a scary prayer to say, God, your will be done. To wrestle with him to the point where you stand and say, God, whatever you're willing to call me to do, I'm willing to do it. You know, I can't say that I'm that great at this, and I'm not telling this story to boast in any way. It's just I can only speak from my own experience at this point. But I'm sure this room is filled with these kinds of stories. You know, a couple years ago, my wife and I, um, we struggled with, you know, fertility problems and, you know, going through, you know, that whole thing. And we were just weighing our options, and we felt led to pursue adoption. And so we moved forward with the process, and we got everything ready. And uh, then there kind of just came this season where we didn't hear anything. We didn't, we didn't really experience anything for a few months. And, and I realized it was because of my selfishness. I realized like when the time was getting near to where we might actually bring a child home, I was like, that's going to change my schedule. I'm not going to be able to mountain bike as much as I want to. Yes, I know, right? I'm not going to be, you know, it's just, I'm not going to get the sleep that I used to get. And I, and I just started wrestling with this. And for the longest time, uh, we didn't really move forward because I was the hindrance in that. And I remember just reading through God's word one day. I was sitting in, the, in our home office and, and I'm reading through and, I, and I'm just trying to read scripture through the lens of, of God the Father adopting um, broken sinners and as I'm going through that, I'm realizing, man, I am such a messed up person. And I realized, and I just, I just spent so much time confessing my sins and saying, God, I'm at the point now where whatever you want for me, I'm willing to do. And that was a scary prayer. And maybe some of you guys can relate to this, but after you pray something, you just have this sense that something is going to happen. I, 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 words can't describe it. You just have to experience. Well, later that night, you know, that was in the morning. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning I did that. Later that night, we get a text message from our social worker and she says, would you be interested in adopting this kid? And it's a little picture of Xander. I wish I would have had it to, to share with you, but just this little chunky faced kid. And I looked at Kate and I was like, we have to say yes. I mean, there's, there's no way we can say no after what I just experienced this morning. We talked about it. Two weeks later, we brought him home. A year and a half later, we were able to finalize his adoption and, and he's with us. I mean, it's crazy what God does when we just step in alignment with him and allow him to work and how he works all that stuff. Because that year and a half before we were able to actually finalize the adoption, that was a battle of, of, of you know, trying to, you know, we had to go to court. And again, I can't share all of it, but it's just amazing how God moves when we step in alignment with his will. And that's huge if we want to be a church for Prescott. But I want to caution us because we can't just go out and start doing things. There's a temptation to just get like, oh, yeah, let's be a church for Prescott, and then just start doing. But there's a danger in that because we can oftentimes hurt people when we just step out in front of God. Because when we step in front of God, we step out of alignment with his will. Right? We are called Jesus followers, not Jesus leaders, and you cannot follow somebody that you are in front of. Prayer keeps us behind God and in his will. 
That is huge for us to understand. And we cannot afford to believe the lie that our interaction with people can do more than our intercession with God. I fall into this temptation. This is a lie Satan wants us to believe, that we can go out in our own strength and do so much more if we just go out and do it, rather than kneeling before God and just saying, God, what might you have me to do? Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that we just sit back and pray and do nothing. What I am saying is that we start with prayer and then we move into action. I like how Scott said it in our run-through this past Thursday. He said, prayer is not the finish line, it's the starting line. We first need to start with prayer and in that prayer, God will move us and show us needs that we can step into. You know, I heard this quote, again, I couldn't find the author for this, but he said, Satan laughs at our toiling, right, because we are so good at toiling, He mocks at our wisdom, right? Because we think we are so wise and we can do things so much better than God can do. But he trembles when we pray. Because he understands, Satan understands the power of prayer. He understands how prayer can keep us in alignment with God. And that's the thing that freaks him out. But the beautiful thing is that prayer doesn't just keep us in alignment with God. No, there is great power in prayer. Prayer actually moves God. And this almost sounds heretical to say this, but this moves us into our third point, that God moves in response to prayer. God doesn't have to move in response to prayer. God isn't dependent on our prayers, but for whatever reason, God has planned from eternity past that the prayers of his people be part of his plan in accomplishing his will here on earth. God, in all of his wisdom, said, you know what? I want the prayers of my people to matter. So I'm going to use their prayers within my plan to accomplish my purpose. That is crazy when we think about it. So I I just pulled up a few verses to share with you that talk about this. I just want you to hear these verses and then listen to the way that God promises to move in response to the prayers of his people. The first one is from Jeremiah 33.3. This is a famous verse. God, speaking to the prophet of uh, Jeremiah while he's in jail, says, call to me, right? Here's the prayer, call to me. How will God move in response to that? He says, I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. I almost preached this message on that verse alone because there is so much power in that. Think about that. The God of the universe who created the stars, who breathed everything into existence, who created you and me, he says, call to me. And I will answer you. And I will blow your mind. I will show you things that you've never even known. I will tell you things you've never even heard of before. He can do immeasurably more than we could even think or ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. Right? God just says, call to me. And I will move. The next verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Right? If we come to God with this humble, repentant prayer, this is how he promises to respond. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Man, we are in need of that, right? Psalm 50, verse 15. Here's the prayer. And call upon me in the day of trouble. Here's how God responds to that. And I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Next one, one of my favorites from Romans 10, 12 and 13. For there is no distinction before, between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches 
on all who call on him. Here's the prayer, all who call on him. How does God respond to that? He bestows his riches on them, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's just a few gems from this treasure chest right here that we can pull that shows God moves in response to the prayers of his people. Again, not because he has to. It's not that he's dependent on us to move. He just chose that our prayers be part of his plan. That is an awesome privilege that we have. We are in desperate need of God to move here in Prescott. It wasn't just the Israelites that needed God. It wasn't just the city of Jerusalem that was in need. Prescott is in need. Because right now, as I speak, there are people walking up and down the streets who do not have a relationship with Jesus and who are in need of salvation. Right now, maybe within this room, there are marriages that are in need of restoration. There are addicts in need of freedom. Prescott is in need, and we are in desperate need of God to step in and to flex and to show his power and to show his might. But what we, re- what we need to realize is this, that all the needs of Prescott, so any need that you could think of, all right, your next door neighbor that's going through an ugly divorce, that, that prodigal child in your, in your life, or that, that spouse or that parent or that person that you work with who doesn't know Jesus, okay, the, the, the person who's, who's suicidal, whatever need is in Prescott can only be met by the riches of God in Christ Jesus. These needs in Prescott cannot be met by us just going out and serving, They can't be met by us just writing enough checks and giving enough money. No, these needs can only be met by the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that according to Romans chapter 10, verse 12, we tap into these riches by calling on God. Right? Remember that verse? He bestows his riches on all who call on him. That is how we tap into these riches, this grace and this mercy, this forgiveness, this love that we need and that Prescott needs. This is huge that we get this. Jesus understood this. He understood the power of prayer. That's why in Luke 5, he, we're told, he withdrew to desolate places to pray, to tap into that power source. The disciples knew this. That's why in Acts chapter 6, they delegated all of their responsibilities so that they could focus on two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's why in Luke 11, they cried out to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they understood the power of prayer. Do we understand that? Now I want to insert here just a a kind of a, a warning. Because I want us to understand that prayer does not persuade God to do what we want him to do. God is not this magic genie that gives us everything that we want. He doesn't always answer our prayers favorably with a yes, right? But he does answer our prayers knowing what's best for us. So he does withhold things from us oftentimes. Prayer does not manipulate God's will to bend to our will. Prayer does not change God's plan. But prayer can release his power. And that is what we are in need of if we are to be a church for Prescott. This release of God's power. So in our closing minutes, before we move to a time of prayer, I just want to daydream for a minute. Because I, I, I was reading through this passage of Jesus in the garden. And I asked, I just kept asking myself, what would it look like if we who called ourselves Jesus followers actually followed Jesus into the garden and fell on our knees 
and agonized in prayer and wrestled in prayer until we could stand with a pure heart like he did and say, Lord, your will be done. I mean, what if we recognize that it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about my comfort, it's not about my career, it's not about what school I'm going to go to, it's not about my, my job, my finance, it's not about any of that, God, it is about you. How might Prescott be changed if this room alone prayed like that and said, God, your will be done? God used some pretty messed, 12 messed up people, right, to change the world. Imagine what he could do in Prescott if we just got to that place where we said, God, your will be done. How might he prompt some of you to, to step in and to fill needs that, that you see within your life? Again, we're just daydreaming here, so I'm just going to throw some stuff out. He might place on somebody's heart here in this room um, a desire to start stopping by a business or a fire station or a police station once a week or once a month. You know, you just make it part of your habit to stop in and to drop off a goodie bag coffee or candy or whatever, beef jerky, whatever, and just say, look, I know this isn't much, but I just want you to know that I care about you. We pray for you. Here's this little bit of encouragement. And look, if you have kids in your, in your family, all right, and you bring your kids to something like this, I guarantee you when they grow up, they're going to look back and be like, mom, dad, I loved going to the fire station every month and drop, dropping stuff off. That's what they want to see. They want to see faith lived out. And that's the kind of stuff I promise you they will remember and that will stick with them. Maybe there are some people in this room who, again, this applies to people who have kids. But if you have a child that's in school, maybe uh, God might be prompting you to, to start building a relationship with your child's teacher. Maybe you just stop in once a week or a couple times a month and just say, look, I'm available. Do you want me to grade papers? Do you want me to put homework packets together? Do you want me to get the room ready for tomorrow so that you don't have to bring work home? And I, my wife was a second grade teacher for a number of years. And let me tell you, they bring teachers. If there's any teachers in here, thank you for what you do. All right? Because I understand. She brought work home with her every single night. And a lot of times we didn't connect as husband and wife until 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night when we're both exhausted. It put a strain on our marriage because of how much work she had to do. How could we step in and alleviate some of that? Again, we're just brainstorming. And if you don't have kids, there's still a need for mentors, you know, big brothers, big sisters. There's other things. Uh, maybe there's just a, a, a kid in your neighborhood that could use a grandfather figure in his life. Again, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe God, after much prayer, might be convi convicting some people in this room that, you know what, your house has been too quiet for too long, and he's calling you to fill your home with the laughter and with the tears and with the frustration and with the screaming of a foster child, or two, or ten, or whatever he places on your heart. Maybe he's calling some people to start a nonprofit. Maybe he's calling some people to start serving at, uh, I don't know, a, a missions or a soup kitchen. After much prayer, we feel that God in our home group is calling us to kind of step out and minister to the neighborhood that we're in. So when, this, when the weather gets better, we're going to throw a block party and we're going to rent some inflatables and we're going to get some food and we're just going to invite our neighbor friends because they have a lot of kids over and say, hey, how can we minister to you? How can, how can we serve you? Is there a need that we can be here to step in to? And we're just going to trust that God will use that to bring glory to himself. One of the things that we're going to start um, within the family ministry here at Cornerstone is something called Mama's Break. And we found that within Cornerstone and within city, in, in Prescott, you know, there's a lot of stay-at-home moms. 
And we just started thinking, how can we minister to this group of people? Because being a stay-at-home mom, man, that is a rough job, okay? So we just started brainstorming, and we thought, what if we just gave them a couple hours throughout the week to just go and get errands done, get some grocery shopping done, and just take a break? So what we decided to do was rent out the Go Bananas facility at the mall and just give parents an opportunity to drop their kids off and go do something. Our hope is, and we're going to really challenge the parents to use that as a time to reach out to that neighbor that doesn't know Jesus or to that family member that doesn't know Jesus and say, look, I got a couple of hours free. I'm kid free. Let's go grab some coffee and connect. And we're trusting God will use that to bring glory to himself and to change lives here in Prescott. So again, I don't know exactly what he's going to lead you to do or where he might lead you to go, but I do believe that promise that if we call on him, he will answer us and he will blow our minds with things we had never even seen or thought of before or heard of. So that's what we're going to do in this time now. I've invited some friends to pray for us. So Riley and Jeff, you guys can come on out if you want. And The whole point of this is really just to get our minds thinking about the fact that there are people in Prescott who have needs. Because reality is, if you're retired, chances are you kind of hang out with retired people. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that's what you know. And if you're a student, chances are, you know, you hang out with, with people your own age, and you might not think about the retired community, whatever that might look like. So they're going to pray for specific areas of Prescott. My friend Riley is going to pray for the school's in town, including the teachers and the students and the leadership. And my friend Jeff is going to pray for the first responders, right? The EMTs, the, the sheriffs, the police. And we're just going to hopefully today start a habit of praying for Prescott. And then again, we talked about the fact that prayer is not just talking, prayer is listening. So when Jeff gets done, we're going to move into a moment of silence. And it's just going to be silent. And for a lot of people, that's awkward. And it probably will be awkward in this room because I'm going to try to keep it long enough to where we feel a little bit uncomfort, uncomfortable. Because we should feel uncomfortable when we come into the presence of God in just silence and say, God, your will be done in my life. What might you have me do? So that's what we're going to do in these closing minutes. And then when, after that moment of silence, I'm going to just lead us in a, in, a, in a prayer straight from Scripture. And then Jamie will come out and close us in a song. So Riley, when you're ready, we'll just, if you guys feel led to fall on your knees, you can do that. Um, if you feel led to stand, what, what, whatever, it's just time right now between you and the Lord. Spend time wrestling in prayer, trying to align our wills with his will, trusting that when we call on him, he will answer us. Lord, I pray for our schools in the Prescott area. <clears throat> I pray for the students in them. I pray that the ones that know you will be a light to the teachers, faculty, and other students that may not know you. I pray for our teachers, that they will love the students, and the ones who do know you, that they will love the students with the love that only you can give them. I pray that they will have peace and patience with the students and coworkers. I pray for our school school board. Um, I pray that you will give them wisdom to make decisions that will affect many. I pray for the administrators in each school. I pray that you also give them wisdom, and I pray that you give them a love for the school and students inside the school. I pray that you will give them patience to deal with difficult people, and I pray that you will be present in every classroom. I thank you for amazing godly teachers and administrators. I thank you for the amazing schools that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Merciful Father, we thank you for the men and women who serve as police officers, firefighters, and emergency first responders. 
Thank you for empowering them spiritually, mentally, and physically for the trauma that they face daily. Thank you for being their strength and their hope. You are an awesome in your sanctuary. Gracious Heavenly Father, you give power and strength to your people. Praise be to you, God. May all who are godly rejoice in you, Lord, and praise your holy name. Let all who take refuge in in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Today we stand with our law enforcement, firefighters, emergency medical personnel. We declare God's protection and provision over their lives. By faith, we confess that the public servants who are called by your name, Father, will love you with all their hearts, soul, strength, and mind. They will find their source of strength in you. We pray that they will consistently seek your will in all that they do, and you will show them which path to take. Holy Spirit, as the first responders seek you for wisdom, please reveal pitfalls that may lay ahead of them and show them how to circumvent these dangers. Help them to remain focused when they respond to an emergency. Help them all work together to glorify you. Remind them to be their brother or sister's keeper. Calm the fears of their loved ones, especially the young children. And help the family members to trust you for the safety of their loved ones. Holy Spirit, remind those first responders who are believers to always be joyful, never stop praying, and to be thankful in all circumstances. Remind the citizens of our many communities to be mindful of our first responders. Pray for them and to be appreciative of the commitment that these men and women have made. Wise Father, help our police officers, firefighters, and emergency medical personnel to not yield to temptation but deliver them from the evil one. Lord of heaven's armies, you are great. As your name deserves, O God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. God Almighty, we trust that you will do far more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit 
in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.